cash-based means payment method. It is a lazy juvenile way to categorize a business because what we need is an entire array of quote unquote cash-based businesses that are all functioning very differently and serving very different populations and utilizing various monetization strategies within the cash-based category. So some of those could be low ticket, $10 a month apps, especially with the emerging technology of, of AI and, and, and all of that stuff. We are going to be in a very real world where an expert will be able to compartmentalize their niche specific knowledge in a way that can be demonetized to quite literally dollars a month for the right population, for the right problem, for the right people. That is a cash-based business. We're talking with Frank Benedetto. You'll see me try to pronounce his name in the first couple minutes of the podcast. Uh, Frank's a guy I've listened to, read, heard thoughts and musings and, and, and inner thoughts from for a while now. And to say he sort of approaches things differently might be a little bit of an understatement. I mean, he really does. He approaches things differently. He doesn't do things differently. I mean, sorry, he also do does things differently. But he approaches things differently from the start. I would even say like it's baked into the cake, but I'm talking like thinking about the ingredients. And we get into that with uh, a really good discussion towards the end of a show about revolution versus renaissance and how he messed up and then realized it and what he's doing about it. We really talk about a healthcare system. We talk about PT as a whole. We talk about um, examples from his personal life, very personal life, um, and how it's applicable. And, and just, I mean, I don't know. It was a really cool conversation uh, uh, over a drink with someone that I'd listened to uh, for a long time. So you're gonna, you're, you're gonna dig it, is what I'm getting at. Uh, Want to say thanks to Physiotech for helping to support the show. Would adding a 290 bucks per patient per quarter help your business? That's rhetorical. Of course it would. Remote therapeutic monitoring can do it. How? They can tell you that. Walk you right through it. It's not as overwhelming as you might, theme, uh, might think. So check it out. Physiotech.ca. That's physiotec.ca. They're based in Canada. That's where the .ca is from. Also, our friends at MW Therapy, delivering a modern all-in-one outpatient PTEMR with the built-in patient portal, marketing automations, and billing features you'll want at a value your clinic deserves. MWTherapy.com. We're, we're switching your EMR over. They make it easy. And finally, ATI, one of the leaders in clinical research within the PT profession, with more than 900 of their clinics across the country, placing a 100th percentile in CMS's merit-based incentive program for the second consecutive year. If you want to join their team and jumpstart your new career, why don't you try it at ATI? ATIPT dot com frank welcome to the show man yeah thanks for, i kind of dropped the whole ball and like the beer thing because that's it, okay it's only like two o'clock and i was like wait i oh man i'm supposed to have a beer it's like 10 minutes in advance i'm like do i run to Publix and just go get a beer real quick here's what i've said a pint is just a union of measurement i mean mm. put anything in a pint class right? yeah that's so my own class, perception right? right there that's my own yeah. lens i'm looking through so, so I, I usually do this before we hit record, um, but I wanted to, we were talking about just before I hit the record button, sort of asymmetrical relationships and how you like read someone or follow them or listen to them or watch their videos for a long time. And this line from an author, I forget who it was, someone will correct me in the comments, which was, I never make fun of someone who pronounces a, mispronounces a word if they've only ever read the word. Because when you come across a word, you don't 
know how to pronounce, you, you understand the meaning, maybe in context, or maybe yeah. you look it up. But if you don't look at, look how to spell it or how it's pronounced, you invent your own. And that's how you say it internally. So how do you pronounce your last name? I've read it so many times, but I don't think I've ever actually heard you say it. I'm going to make, make you take a guess. Benedetto? Yeah, nailed it, dude. First right. try. First well, try. Yeah, I've learned in, I've learned in radio, even if it's Jones or Smith or Johnson, unless you ask, because I've done it before. Yeah. It's, actually, it's actually Johnson or Smythe. <laughs> I mean, I've run into those before, and it's hard to come back from that after it's like, well, clearly you didn't do your research on me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you nailed um, it. Congrats. We're off to a good start. We're off to a great start. Batting one yeah. for one. All right. So you have a drink. It doesn't matter what it is. Cheers to you. That's the first round. Frank, welcome to the show. Cheers. Uh, first round brought to you by our friends at Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification and personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. That's fancy talk for BFR. Uh, OwensRecoveryScience.com is where you can find info, the gear, the certification, everything that Johnny and the team has to offer on their website. All right, we got that out of the way. That's the hardest question we're going to do is like how how Jimmy has to pronounce Frank's last name. That's the hardest <laughs> question that's going to that's gonna come up in the whole episode. That's good. It's all uphill from here. Then. It's all uphill from here. Um, all right. So so let's talk about what excites you. Um, yeah. You know, uh, before before we hit record too, which is I think I need to learn to hit record earlier because we, were, we already started going. You talked about meeting someone that you probably had an asymmetrical relationship with. And that's someone that I sort of have an asymmetrical relationship with. And for the audience, asymmetrical is like the audience of this podcast probably has an asymmetrical relationship with me in that they've spent time listening to my tone, my vibe, my ideas. They either agree or disagree or somewhere in the middle. And then you start to get to know someone. I have asymmetrical relationships with you know, writers that I read. So that's sort of it. You had lunch with someone that I read and I think probably portion of the audience definitely does and talk about who that was and like, what was that experience like? Cause it's very yeah. interesting to me how these. Yeah. Things awesome. Up. So the author is Ryan holiday. I yeah. would say, and I, I don't say this often, but that hit his book obstacles the way yeah. was quite literally a turning point in my life. So we, we could talk about that story later. We'll talk about the specific question here of what was like meeting him. So that's a pretty strong asymmetrical relationship because sure. asymmetrical could have different levels of depth. Like if I, I've heard this guy talking all the time on social media, I think I know who he is. Then there's another one where you've consumed you know, every body of work that the person's ever, ever written. And I have, I have every Ryan holiday book that he's ever produced and participate in multiple online courses. Versus. For anybody who doesn't know, he is the master at applying Stoic philosophy to real world modern day situations. And like sum up stoic philosophy because like I read it so many times before I was like, damn it, what the hell does that mean? Because I yeah. thought I did. And it really is kind of a cool way of thinking. Oh man, yeah. I don't think I could even do it justice and I've consumed so much of it. To, well, let me to, try. Yeah, get, you you, give it, you give might actually go. be past yeah. the tipping point where you know it so well. Summarizing it would be hard. I'm sort of still beginning. Here's how he sort of taught it to me or I, I, I got it somewhere from him, which is like, Instead of looking at this as happening to me, it really was, what is this teaching me? Because you can get into, and many people do that I know personally and professionally, uh, get into a sort of a victim's mindset or like this thing is, why is the world doing this to me? And he sort of has, or stoicism says, okay, this is happening. Um, it is happening. What can I learn from it? And one of the examples I think he used when this sort of clicked for me was, in Navy SEAL training, I believe they have this saying called full benefit, 
which is whatever's happening, they just look at each other in the moment. Like they're in the surf, it's freezing, dead of night. They're, you know, doing sit-ups with, you know, telephone poles on them and just getting their ass kicked. And they look at each other and just go full benefit. It's like, this is happening whether we want to or not. What am I going to get? What am I going to take from this and learn to grow instead of just whining against it? Now, yeah. that was at least one part of, I don't think I summarized the whole stoicism. Yeah. That was a part. And I think that's what, that's the challenge is that stoicism is a set of principles or philosophies that don't have like, you know, it's, it's like bordering religion, but without a deity or a God or right. anything overly religious about it in any capacity, but it is very close to a way to look at the world and a way to apply a principle of philosophy Lessons. across every type of person, every type of situation. Right. And a huge part of that, at least obstacles away is along what you're talking about is this switch from seeing that obstacles are actually the path, you know, the, the, the switch to the obstacles are the path. And not the barrier. Yeah, not the barrier. It's actually the path. So, but that's, that's still just a small fraction of what Stoicism right. is. Circling back to the original question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get this opportunity to, to have dinner with Ryan Holiday. And, you know, at this point, you know, I, I've consumed everything. And you are wondering, is this going to be one of those, you know, don't meet your heroes kind of moment. Right. And you're like trying not to have an expectation, but you have an expectation. And you're excited like, too. Like, you're excited. you know, you're geeky. Yeah, absolutely. And what I could tell you is one of the rare times in my life where I've met a so-called hero who lived up to the image and then some because it was just him. Yeah. And what so I wait, wait, shared, wait, wait. This yeah. lunch setting, it literally was just you two? Was it a group? No, it was a small group of people. It was his That's whole cool. team and about six of six people who That's were, probably a little better, a little social lubricant. You know, so it's just yeah. you and him. It's probably like, okay, like this is what are we definitely gonna, more know? intense yeah. in, in that setting for sure. But the cool part is, and this is what I really strive to model is that thin slice of Ryan Holiday that he shows, let's say, on his Instagram and his emails and in a much larger sense in his books are really a reflection of who he is. And I, I believe that what I'm trying to do, and let's say it's trying to systematize this too, and like on a quarterly level, auditing the last quarter's worth of content that I put out and saying, how much does this reflect who I am? Does it match? What, what right. needs to get updated? Because we're always updating, right? We're always changing the way we believe. I, I believe today that I might not have believed a year ago, but gets perpetuated in the content almost by like accident or just by momentum or, or mechanically because of repurposing. And I'm always trying to cross-reference, does the thin slice as accurately as possible represent the full slice? And the, the, the metric that I'll use in my mind is that one day when we have live events, which we currently don't do, and I meet clients who I've interacted with digitally for literally years or people like you, colleagues on parallel missions, and we meet, I want that person to be like, wow, that was just yeah. Frank. That, that was, was what Frank. I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. The, Frank, so, the Frank from the internet is the Frank here. So I used to have an exercise that I sort of made up out of necessity in radio. So my job was a radio DJ, but I also was the program director. So my job was also like help radio DJs improve or create radio DJs, like find someone who works at a checkout counter and be like, you have a great vibe. Would you ever want to work in radio? And then, and then help them do that. And one of the literal exercises were, you know, radio DJs are famous from wearing big, big over the ear headphones. Yeah. Right. And there's a, there's a reason for that is we've got to monitor the music and the microphones and my microphone and guests and whatever. So there is a, a reason for looking goofy with these giant headphones. Now, the thing with microphones and radio stations is they, you know, if you set them up right, they add a little juice, 
right? We, we, we put, we put a little modification and some tuners on there, right? The engineers do that. I don't do that, but the engineers do it. And what would happen is we'd get a, a new person um, coming in and they'd start talking in the microphone, the, the studio mic for the first time. And they hear themselves a little gutsier and a little, they yeah. sound taller is what I mean, which doesn't make any sense, but it does. And what would happen is that thing would go on a loop. They would become the thing they sounded like, and they would mm. actually stray further and further away from who they were. And I'm like, here's the problem. The audience is going to know something's up. They won't know what it is, but they'll be like, this guy's faking it. It's like when you meet someone who's acting a little more bravado or, yeah. or smarter than they are or nice, whatever. So the exercise I used to do, I said, listen, you need to monitor in the studio. But what I want you to do is I want you to take one earphone off. You don't need two. You can actually do one, right? DJs are always famous for doing the, like the one thing, right? You really need one. You need one. And what happened is you get to monitor everything in the earphone, but you can still hear your own voice here. And I said, when this doesn't sound like you, stop talking like that. Literally changing your voice, but also how you're talking. I'm like, I need you at scale. I don't need you to become something different. And then we send you out. So it feels like it was a similar thing. It was a small little exercise to do, but the audience would, the audience always knows when you're trying too hard or that ain't you. They do. Somehow. They do. Yeah. Subconsciously. And I think we are seeing that trend in social media now. Everybody probably knows Alex Hormozzi. If you're yep. following this, yep. why? I, and I'm always trying to look at second or third or fourth order reasons that are not as obvious. Like obviously he's prolific and what he shares is, a lot of classical wisdom, like the basics from proven methods. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah. So very few of it is original, but it's proliferated and explained in a way that's really easy Applicable. to digest. But below that, though, doesn't he sound bored most of the time? Doesn't he sound what? Bored? Bored. Doesn't he sound monotone? Yeah, he, he sounds sound like, he, yeah, bored, I mean. Borderline disinterested. You know, almost. Like, hey, yeah, I mean, I guess this. so. Listen to this if you want to or not. Like, it doesn't right. really matter to me. And contrast that to the internet of like the, the early Gary V phase of like in your face, like, yo, let's fucking go, blah, 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 you know, like screaming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, I do think that there is a subtlety in that when we keep getting blasted with more and more media, we're actually craving more. Yeah, it's not it's not just authenticity anymore. It's like another a relatability at a very real sense, I think is what the world is craving from the people that they learn from. I'll give you another parallel in radio. I mean, you want to go cliche radio car, car commercial, local car yeah. dealer, radio commercial crazy Eddie. was crazy high music, yeah. sound effects, got in and voiceover yelling. And I was given scripts in my radio days when I made commercials and it was like, we need you, whatever the microphone goes up to punch it even harder. And I remember we sat with a client once and they were like, because of course, one guy goes loud, the next guy goes louder, the next girl goes even louder, and it's just a, it's an arms race toward who can scream the loudest to get you to buy a Ford Escort <laughs> or whatever. And I remember thinking, I remember I said this to a client once. I said, "You know, we should try." And they go, "What?" I go, "What if we just talked? Like, what if we use white space in terms of noise, yeah. like quietness?" And we did that, and people made so many comments about that particular commercial campaign. And I'm like, that's when you know. I'm here's the thing. I'm like, you're gonna tell me whether or not it works in this time period that the commercials ran during and a little bit after. Did your sales go up, down, not right. changed? They went up. 
And so many people talked about it being the anti-commercial commercial. Six months later, though, they went back because they were like, no, nah, I feel like I got to compete with yeah, my competitors. And I go, yeah. I would rather whisper when everybody's screaming instead of try to outscream them, which is like what you're sort of talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the bo the boldness to be different. I mean, the the one of the foundational books since we're on that topic personally was the Ryan Holiday books for the most part. And then business-wise, the book that changed everything for me was Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Oh, Seth Godin. Great book. Every Everything that man's ever produced has been top-notch, but Purple Cow never gets old. It's, it's a rereader. I try to reread it at least once or twice a year, the, the foundational principles. But he talks about this exactly, that it feels crazy to do the opposite. When you look to the left, you look to the right, and this is going on in our profession a ton, right? From the employee perspective to the employer perspective. Everybody's just looking around saying, well, they're doing it and they're doing it. So that means I'm going to have to do it. And this is what I have to do. And now more than ever, we need people to stop and reject that trend. And somebody said the other day, and I forget who it was. I'm sure someone will correct me in the comments as well, because I want to give credit where credit was due. And the person was saying, um, it's really easy to try to use this device right here, or the internet or cell phones to try to, you because, because there's no walls. There's no time and space don't have limits. What we're recording right now in early June, someone might be listening to in November, three years from now, right? Yeah. So they were saying, trying to be the best is very difficult. And you're just going to keep doing this arms, this cold war, this arms race. When, when now they're saying, I think Gary Vee says this too, which is be the only, try to be the only which didn't make any sense 15 years ago, right? But And I just referenced this girl on another podcast. I interviewed her you know, a couple of weeks ago, but Kay is a PT who suffers from anxiety. So she, using re, like normal, you know, normal traditional thinking, she should just go be an expert in psychology and then share that information. Where Kay was like, I'm just going to turn this camera on. I'm just going to talk about how, what I experienced. And next thing you know, she's got 30,000 people following our Instagram. But she didn't do it right. I'm using air quotes K on the podcast, but don't worry about it. She didn't do it right and she didn't strategize. She just went and beat she, – she, her, her goal wasn't trying to be the best person talking about anxiety. It was to be the only her out there. And that resonated. And you know, lather, rinse, repeat if, you, if you're looking for a way to cut through all this – these Ford Escort car commercials yeah. where we just yell at each other. That's the way to can, do it. Can we dig into where that can get misconstrued? Yeah, yeah. So the only, really what you mean and what you said at the end there is the only you. Correct. The only, Where no a lot of clinicians go wrong is that, oh, I can't do, I have this dream of working in combat sports, but I follow four or five other clinicians who are already in combat sports. Therefore, I'm not the only. Right. And that's not right, what right, we right, mean right, in right, any right. capacity. So where, where I want to drive this home, because a huge part of what I believe in is the segmentation. I know you believe in this too, because you ran a, 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 a big campaign around this and a lots of content around niche-based practices. Yeah, I believe in niche-based practices as a fundamental principle of a, as a requirement of a successful practice in 2023 and beyond. And what I take a ton of pride in is that I actually own a niche-based practice myself. I have an online business for combat athletes. So fighters, kickboxers, jujitsu, wrestlers. And I've also helped start 20 or 30, somewhere in that range, other identical businesses through our business incubator for clinicians who are just as passionate about that. In that niche? In that exact niche. But I feel like there's a but and a dot, dot, dot coming. Where's the but? Well, because 
they're not copying your business. They're in a similar niche, but they are their only. Is that what we're getting? Yeah. Is they're their yes. only them? Yes. Yeah. So I sorry, I misunderstood there. No, no, yeah. But, and exactly. I give the template and I give the Correct. framework. And there's also, I don't know, eight billion people in the world. There's a lot several of people. Hundred million of those are combat athletes around the entire world. So let's say we're all targeting, you know, uh, a, we all need 40 to 80 clients at any given moment to make the amount of money that most PTs are trying to make in a reasonable manner. And we could do it in our unique ways. Correct. So it is not just the niche that you have to be the only, but there is a way that you take your thumbprint of the way you look at the world, the way you look at practice, the way you look at that sport, the way you look at that problem in a non-sports analogy, and you apply that. And the business comes out as unique as you, even you if on the surface level, it appears similar as everybody else. Correct. I took over the radio station, the last radio station I ran. I ran it for seven years. But before that, I, I was, you know, I was the number two guy. And this guy, Chris Lloyd, who was, I lucked out, worked under some really great people in, in radio. And I remember the first two months after he left, and he left on great terms. He, he left to run an even bigger radio station. And I remember all my decisions in the first like two months. First of all, I didn't sleep. I couldn't even go to my bedroom. I slept on the couch because I was like too nervous to ever like totally tone down. Because if the radio station went down, I had to go there. Like I, like I was, I was on like DEFCON one, whatever the higher DEFCON is, five, one, I think one size. No idea. <laughs> and um, he would, I would call him every, he was like, dude, he, you know, he was like six or seven years older than me or five or six. So he was like old enough to know, like you're on the edge. I know you, but like, you're a little edgy here. And I would call him when I needed it. And I remember one conversation we had, he goes, I'm like, well, what, what, what would you do? And he goes, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, I need you to give me the answer. Like, what do I do here? And he goes, they hired you because they want you. You keep trying to copy me. He's like, you're never going to be able to guess what would yeah. Chris do in this situation? Maybe in the first week, right? Make sure the lights are on, make sure someone's in the studio at all times, right? But he's like, now we're getting into, you have to put, he's like, they're asking you, they, they're literally paying you to put your fingerprint on this. And it was that moment when I was like, oh yeah, I couldn't, I can't possibly, I couldn't shadow or, or yeah. mimic exactly what Chris would do in every situation. The relieving factor was I didn't have to, I wasn't being expected to. Yep. And that's when I let it go. And I was able to go back and actually like go to sleep in my own bed. Yeah. So I, I have a very similar moment from a YouTube video. And it was a Eric Thomas YouTube video. He's a motivational speaker, usually very fired up. And he was talking about how you're never going to be the best copycat in the world. That you, you just keep studying these other people. You keep studying these people, but, but you don't even know who you are because you've been studying these people so much. Right. So you got you to stop being a copycat and step forward. And that's when I decided to name my company after a honey badger. I was like, yeah, where did that not, come from? Yeah. I was like, I am not going to go down the road of sounding like every other quote unquote business coach. And I'm not a business coach. I'm going to put that out there right away. I am not a business coach. And I, but what I do can be viewed as in parallel or similar field in business education and uh, as a business incubator. But right off the bat, I wanted it to be like, you know, all of the, the various typical cash PT, oh, yeah, the, all the, all the names that just scream business coach. I wanted it to be like, I wanted to invoke literally the feeling of what the fuck is that? Yeah. And you know, like, that's literally what I wanted. So they leaned in and then I get the chance to talk to a captive, captive audience who says, what is this? So do you, do you want me to share how the honey badger came to be? So I, it's, it's in one of my list yeah. of, of questions because, and I was actually going to preface it by saying you're never, you know, in radio, you're never supposed to ask the band the lazy question of why'd you pick the band name, whatever. <laughs> but I kind of had to ask at this point because yeah. it's so 
different, unique. I had yeah. to ask. So there, yeah. I mean, you, so what you did work. Accomplished. Mission yeah. accomplished, branding. Um, here's the real reason. So there, there's like, there's layers of, re I could give you the, 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 like the great one-liner that makes sense. So the honey badger is known as the most fearless animal in the world. We wanted a spirit animal for our members because fear is the path to you know, overcoming the, the, all, all of the barriers that the healthcare system has put in front of PTs and chiros and all the other clinicians. That's, that's true. The, the real reason though, is because I was fucking afraid. Really? <laughs> so the, I had my career in a crib notes version as employee from 2009 to 2015, quit my job 2015 with just like literally a couple of days notice because of a disagreement with the, with the employer. I was 200 K in debt. None of that was student loans. That was all from horrific life mistakes after watching my dad die in front of me when I was 26. And I imploded in every way possible waking up on my 30th birthday in an unbelievably low place uh, and quite literally no further I could have fallen. I mean, it would have been homeless or in jail was probably the only two levels below wow. where I was. Um, and it was quite literally my 30th birthday when I listened to that one Eric Thomas video and I decided I was going to, I was going to change and, uh, and not only change, but realizing that the hole I had dug in, dug myself in that no small win would ever matter. And I needed to go for just basically a gigantic win to be able to make even a dent in this, uh, you know, crater of a life that I was. And, and we did. So we built a practice from 2015 to 19. We sold that in 2019. Uh, there was not a, you know, fast path to success here. It was lots of ups and downs. Yeah. I could go through some of those. But in 2019, when I had sold, I had sold and made enough money to basically clear all of the remaining debt, if there was any, and, and really set my life up for... Uh, I would say normalcy. You know, I, I bought a home and I, and I, everything was just okay. And I had enough to be able to take several months off to really refresh, set the aim. What am I going to do in this next phase of my career and have some savings? But obviously it was not a retirement kind of deal. Right. So um, in those few months, I had no fucking clue. I had no clue. I was like, what do I want to do? And I just, you know, I had Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike is the, the consumer facing business that I primarily you know, uh, run now as far as with fighters. But I knew that my passion wasn't that for the rest of my career. And I'd always felt that I was called to have a bigger role in evolving the PT profession and then leveraging the success within that profession to healthcare at large. But I was terrified because who the hell am I? I'm an unknown social media list, following list, nobody thinking these thoughts. And I go to a Brendan Burchard live event and uh, my life transforms, you know, in literally a one hour talk by Anthony Trucks, who's a motivational speaker and somebody's become a great friend now. He was somebody whose story starts with being literally just passed from family to family in uh, foster care for a paycheck. Essentially, these families would take kids in just to get whatever paycheck and then essentially state. deprive this kid of all basic humanities. The story is just absolutely insane how he was able to rise from that and become the man he is today. And But the premise of his, of his keynote was that your story is your greatest asset. And so many of you are hiding from your story and ashamed of your story and have all this other stuff. And he was speaking directly to me. So literally, I went outside in the street after that event that day and told my story for the first time, including the dark times you know, from 2000. 12 through 15, when my dad passed away and I imploded, 
including the building and the cell of, of my clinic. And from that point forward, I started to really step into the role and the character that you know of me today, which is who I am at my core, but I was still terrified. So as I was, as I was putting the, the finishing touches on, on the business incubator, the very first edition, which by the way, was called, the, the course name was called Creating More Creative Products because I believe in creativity. I believe there's a need for creativity in healthcare. So that was, that was the terrible first course name that, that I had for that. I wanted something that served as the spirit animal for them, but I needed the spirit animal. Yeah, I needed this pseudo identity to step into. And it, it's, and it also just worked with branding. So a part of this was also inspired by Lady Gaga. Yes. The meme, I'm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm referencing Lady Gaga here. So yeah. Little Monsters is her. She has a great book. I don't know if you've ever read this book. I haven't. Uh, Monster Loyalty. And it talked about having a spirit animal that was meant so much to you that it would mean that much to your audience. Because you could pick a great branding thing. You know, you could just right. pick an animal and name it or something like that. But it meant so much to me. And it was based off of that silly 2012 video of a honey badger just like trotting around all relaxed right. and, you know, getting stung, getting bit by a rattlesnake, passing out, waking up, eating the rattlesnake. And I came up with all of these analogies of like, that's how we have to be in healthcare to take back our power, to take back the authority that we have been like quite literally robbed of in, in healthcare. So that's, that's the long version of, of where Honey Badger came to be. Where do you, where do you want to go from here? Well, that resonates a lot, man. And obviously like it, you mentioned picking it because you wanted it to resonate with people. And as I'm sitting here listening to it, who the hell was I to pick up this microphone seven years ago as a student and say that I'm going to create a podcast, which by the way, you had to explain to people what the hell a podcast was in 2015, whenever the hell I started this. Who am I to do that? And I lucked out because I was like, I am armed with a microphone and a whole lot of questions. I don't know anything. So I was swimming one direction. I think this is why this is exactly why the show was and is successful or took any, had any hold. I was swimming this way. I could not wait to learn things and bring people like, come learn with me. Let's like, we're all going to learn. Let's go together. Hey, everybody. I don't know all this. Yeah. Let's go where I think a lot of people took the traditional route of I'm very clinically savvy or I know something or I'm so smart. I can't wait to tell you. I was the quite literally opposite, which is like, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? No. Then you're with me. Come Let's go. Yeah. So it really was like, hey, we meet at a place called the bar every day. We're just going to, I don't know. We're going to learn one thing and have some fun while we do it. And those were the two tenants. Like I needed to have fun and I needed to learn. It could not be, I could not invite someone on and have them lecture me, which the funny part is most people who are, you know, boring on stage, right? Lecturers or people who lecture, you get them off stage. That's not who they are. That's not their, that's not their slice of personality. As soon as that tie, oh my God, I'm done with that. Great. Oh, now I can be a person. And that's how I started the show is I saw someone on stage and they were boring but I kind of wanted to know what they said. And I ran into them at the networking hour at a conference. And I was like, who's this guy? Cause the guy on stage, I didn't understand a word he said, but you in front of me after two beers, I yeah. understood everything in 15 minutes. And I'm like, there's something here. Even if it's just for me selfishly, it sounds as if I'm getting somewhere. Here comes the climax, right? It sounds like you created the thing that you, you would have needed five or 10 years before you, you could have greatly benefited and that's what I needed. I needed someone to like put it out there in a fun and interesting way and that would captivate yeah. me. It sounds like this thing that you created was the thing that you needed all along, the younger oh, version of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a ton of content where I share very openly the 
significant amount of failures I've had in business from 2015 to 19 and, and ongoing, but the ones in the early days, I look back and some of them, I'm, I'm like kind of shocked I survived it somehow. <laughs> and uh, if I had what I have created now, I, I tell my community all the time, I'm like, I don't do a good enough job telling you guys how many mistakes you don't even need to be worried about because right. I've, I've like literally built a business model that, that you don't have to worry about that. You know, the, the high margin, high profit business model that makes an impact that's mission driven, that's direct to consumer, that doesn't rely on ads, doesn't rely on referrals, all this other stuff. But the the, sh the short version of what you just said is is 100% correct because Honey Badger ensue, in, implies that like this is there's not going to be some stuffy formality to this. And there's like this on the ground kind of scrappiness. Well, also the Honey Badger's yeah. whole thing is like, it just keeps going. It's like it no, it's not going. gonna avoid. It's like what Rocky says. He's like, it's not about not getting hit. It's about knowing you're gonna get hit, and then what are you gonna yeah. do about it? Yeah. Right. Oh, Tyson said like everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I my one of my favorite clips from the original 2012 video was the honey badger going into the the beehive and just like eating the honey Munch. as it's getting stung hundreds of times. And I'm like, it. that's life, man. You got, if you want the honey, you better be prepared to be stung. Like it's just, it's just yeah. going to be part of the ride. Yeah. And, and there, yeah. There, I think the reason there's so many quotes about that, right? Like uh, a ship, a ship isn't built for the, the ship is safe in the Harbor, but that's not what ships are built for yeah. or anything from Tyson or Rocky. It's like, there's a reason there's so many quotes and cliches about it is like, Dude, if you want to stay safe, like stay in bed. But even there, you're not safe. Like I it's know. like you have to lean into it. And I mean, well, I, I heard a really good quote this morning, and it was something along the lines of this. It was um, just trying to get the exact words, so I don't butcher it like I normally do with quotes. But it was it is as the world becomes more turbulent, a paradox arises where oftentimes the perceived safe route becomes the more the more risky route correct and it, it's like all of it applies to all of life and i think we're entering a time where you know just factually it's more turbulent i'm not somebody who really pays attention to to media and i don't believe in identity politics and i don't subscribe to this stuff and, but the reality is, is i think we're just entering a little bit more turbulent time and there's a, th that paradox is is here and with with employment, let's just say as physical therapist, working for the big corporate VC owned thing feels feel safe. Like, feels How safe. Warm. They're also going to be the first ones to lay off 10,000 people like this mm -hmm. you know, it, it, tomorrow. You know, yeah. you just have no idea. Um, and be able to weather those storms, I think is, is really important when, as the world gets more turbulent, when you, we need something to believe in, and I believe it's time for that thing to be us. Correct. It's time to be ourselves. Yeah. And smaller networks, smaller trusted networks as we rebuild. Because the bigger networks that existed to varying degrees have failed us. You know, so it is up to us now to start solo and also band together with whatever that means to you with like-minded people who are going to commit to rebuilding the system. Because the ebbs and flows... We're going to continue to happen. Those are the bees, man. The ebbs yeah. and flows of the bees. And every industry goes through periods of uh, consolidation and dissolution. And it's been going on since the beginning of time. So with car manufacturing, we could actually see that. Whereas it started, you know, really it started uh, much more diversified than what we think. Because we all just know Ford. 
But the reality is, is that I, the car manufacturing was done by local mechanics in tiny little mom and pop shops all around the United States. And then Ford and a handful of other businesses purchased them up and then created the big ones. Now, thanks to Elon, which, you know, I get it. There's not thanking Elon is a really risky thing to do right now. Thanking Elon for Tesla only right now. But Elon, uh, now are you noticing something, a trend? We're seeing more new car manufacturers than ever. And we are going to start to, I believe, see continued representation of that. The same thing is going to happen with physical therapy. I was going to say, so like, let's let's relate it to what we can do, so the people listening can say, "Oh, okay, how do I get ahead yeah. of this wave?" So in the '90s, there was this thing called Health South. Okay. And Health South was this gigantic physical therapy firm, who the CEO, I believe, is still in prison, or he did recently just get out. And um, when that fell, a plethora of small private practices came from it. And when I say plethora, I mean like thousands, like thousands of employees said, well, I guess that strategy doesn't work. Time for me to better myself. And then those, those solo practitioners became small businesses and then became employers. And then a tiny percentage of them started to realize, oh, well, if I could actually buy that company or if I get funding and buy other companies, and they became the current versions of Health South. And there's about, you know, maybe five to 10 of those. Those are all in grave danger. And that, that's like not an opinion. That's just like, if you right. look at their financial earnings statements, if you look at the directional trend, they are in grave danger. And we're going to see all of that happen again, where now we're going to have more private practices spin off. However, what's different now is we're seeing private practices spin off in the cash realm. The same trend will happen, albeit I believe slower, where there will be a marketplace for cash practices especially when innovation takes over and there's more unique methods of monetization, not just selling sessions. So when there is something beyond just selling sessions, now you have a sellable asset as a clinician that can roll up or roll up others into your umbrella. And I believe we're actually going to see the same pattern where we're going to have gigantic cash-based practices, but we shouldn't be going, oh my God, wait, Frank, what you're saying is that they're going to become evil too. And then that that's going to dissolve. The, the future doesn't have to roll that way, but unless we intervene on it, it will repeat itself, right? Well, let's talk about this. So you, you've said before, there's a misconception around this term that you just mentioned, which is cash based. Yes. Right. And I've heard of a bunch of people started using this. I feel like if you, if you look at the popularity of the word, I don't know the phrase, I don't know if it was used all of a yep. sudden, it, boom. And then people started to attach an emotion to it, good, bad, different. So when I say that term like and misconception, like how, how do you look at that around yeah. that discussion? Great question. Glad you asked it. I, have, I basically have come to using it because it's, it's the only way to like, oh, that's what you're talking about. Right. But then I almost always need to move the definition away from it. The, the, yeah. So the rest of the world is just implied cash-based, right? Do you go to cash-based restaurants? Correct. Yes, I do. Uh, all of yeah, them. Yeah, you do. All of them. <laughs> right? All of them. But do you go to Thai? Do you occasionally go to Thai? Do you I do go to Thai. Mexican? Do you ever go to Fusion? Those are cool. Those are cool. So th that's actually categories of businesses, right? But like by defining the restaurant as Thai, Italian, Fusion, all this other stuff, we don't define it based off of the monetization strategy of the right. transaction, a payment method, I should say. It's not even a monetization strategy. It's a payment method. That's Correct. a big difference. Monetization strategy could be like subscriptions and all of these different things. Cash-based means payment method. 
it is a lazy juvenile way to categorize a business because what we need is an entire array of quote unquote cash-based businesses that are all functioning very differently and serving very different populations and utilizing various monetization strategies within the cash-based category. So some of those could be low ticket, $10 a month apps, especially with the emerging technology of, of AI and, and, and all of that stuff. We are going to be in a very real world where an expert will be able to compartmentalize their niche specific knowledge in a way that can be demonetized to quite literally dollars a month for the right population, for the right problem, for the right people. That is a cash-based business. That cannot be grouped into the same thing as someone selling $200 sessions at a luxury boutique gym. And I'm not telling you that that shouldn't exist. I am just saying that that cannot be the totality of the options. Correct. Because who are we serving? The top 1% of the world, we're lying to ourselves if we're thinking we're making that big of a system, systematic, systemic difference or a systemic change by only serving high ticket cash sessions. And I also believe in everything in between. So I gave you the dollars per month, you know, $200 per session. There are options and everything in between that's combining different types of delivery mechanisms in person with digital, digital with Zoom, all sorts of combinations. And my main goal, the reason why I said yes to this podcast is to help just spread awareness that there are more models available to you than just insurance-based care and high ticket care. And that we need creativity in this business. We need creativity in this marketplace. And it's up to you, the listener, to say, you know, pulling in an earlier thumbprint, what's my, what's the, what's my thumbprint that I yeah. can put and take these principles and run with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tell my story at PT school. Sometimes I get invited to talk and everybody's like, this is cool. It was a radio DJ and tell me some funny stories. And I like to, I do, you know, cause Hey, I like to get a laugh and get, and get some, have yeah. some fun, but I do end it with, um, we know from geometry that you can, you, there's a straight line between not a lot of points. There's a straight line between any two points, right? I just happened to pick two that didn't make any sense at the time, which is radio and PT. I was leaving radio behind. Yeah. It was, this was done. The headphones I was hanging them up. Right. And then I just happened to get here, but through my eyes, I saw something that was an opportunity. And I was like, Ooh, I like this. I'm kind of good at it. I feel secure, whatever. I took a shot. So what I try to leave students with is, yeah, I'm cool. Like what I did was cool. What's your straight line? What is your spin? You know, maybe it's not a former job that you brought in some insight. Maybe it's a passion. Maybe it's a book that you read that you went down and created a hobby or you learned. Like we need it or we will not evolve as a profession. Um, and I don't know what would happen if we don't evolve. Well, I mean, I do. You get extinct if you don't evolve. That, that's what yeah. happens. Yeah. And, and I think we've seen very real evidence of that being possible. And instead of constantly trying to defend our, you know, the boundaries of our profession in the archaic way, let's repurpose that energy into how can we deploy the skill set of our profession in a new way Correct. instead of complaining and trying to protect against, let's say, personal trainers, athletic trainers, and all of the other likes who are quote unquote, encroaching into our practice act. Well, we're not even using our practice act to the full right. extent. Yeah, <laughs> what right. do you expect? Yeah. And we are omitting a massive foundation of simple health habits yeah. that are well within our practice act. It takes no advanced credentials. It does not violate your practice act to get people walking, eating more real foods. You do not need a nutrition degree. You're not prescribing macros. You're not prescribing meal plans. 
getting people to drink water instead of you know uh, sugary beverages throughout the day. Like these are simple health habits that we can almost eye roll at that have almost zero compliance with in the 70% of the world who is completely unhealthy that you have in front of you as a captive audience yeah. that you have myopically zoned in on their knee pain or their back pain as though it's isolated in a silo when it is not. Right. Yeah. Give the, give the world when, when all you have is a hammer, uh, all you see is nails, right? Yeah. We'll start looking for diff different things that you can make an impact on. See what I did there? Hammer nails impact. Yeah. I'll be I'll, here all week. I'll, I'll continue. Go ahead. What you actually are is a multi-tool, right? Yeah. So we are we Act are like already it. the Swiss Army knife, and I'm not advocating to not continue your con ed. I, I of course I'm a proponent of that, but what I see is a behavior of con ed addiction that is more for a self-serving process or self-serving like I'm entertaining myself, and then they go back to a job on a Monday where they could apply zero or ten percent of that. Yeah when not realizing that you actually do not need a fitness degree or a fitness credential to say like, you know, Hey, I know, you know, I know you're here for that knee pain. And yes, it did happen by, I don't know, recreational soccer, but the person is necessarily potentially overweight, uh, uh, eating unhealthy, has terrible sleep habits and is physically inactive other than their recreational soccer game once a week. Well, those four areas you could already address as a multi-tool with right there. no risk to your credentialing, no risk to your liability, no advanced credential needed. Say like, hey, you know what? Are you down to approach this more you know, holistically or what words are going to resonate with your people? Be like, what I believe is over the next 12 weeks while we're working together on this knee pain, are you down to also address this from a more indirect way? So lifestyle habits that will support the, the focused rehab that we're doing. Great. Habit tracking. You know, it's a really super simple way. You don't even need an app of your own. You could say, let's download a habit tracker onto your app. And every time you come in for a session, I'm going super traditional PT right here. What we'll do is while you're exercising, I want you to pull it up. Let's talk about it on weeks where you're not compliant. You're like no yelling. This isn't David Goggins. Like you got to be a man. And right, right, right. It's like, let's have coaching conversations around what led to that. So we keep getting to the root and you're going to, you're going to find that you're both going to change people's lives. And what you're actually doing is also inadvertently creating a product that can be monetized for their benefit and your benefit. So you're not just doing this for free in your already deplorable reimbursement rates from insurance right. companies. And this could function as a discharge program. This could function as an add-on to a plan of care. This could function as a, a part of your signature offer if you're a cash-based, air quotes for the podcast, PT, instead of just selling 10 sessions, sell six sessions plus a whole bunch of asynchronous support like this for the same price, you now are earning the same revenue, spending 40% less time in the clinic and arguably, in my opinion, delivering a more personalized uh, and right. more, more impact. impact. More impact. Well, let's talk about impact and maybe fear. We'll stay on the, we'll stay on the, the Ryan Holiday, the barrier, the obstacle is the way. Yeah. Let's talk about the PT, but different in clinical, let's go to business. Let's talk about barriers that hold many PTs back from starting their own. For an example, there was a, a report by APTA that talked about like saturation, right? And they're just going off of data. But maybe that's one thing. Listen, uh, I, I shouldn't skate in that direction because there's this information that says uh, it's going to be too saturated. Where you and I, I feel like we're on the same page where I look at it because someone asked me this question once. 
well, there's like a hundred PT podcasts. Why would I even start one? And I said, well, that's proof of concept right there, that there's a hundred and there's going to be 200 next year, but none of them are going to be done by you in your way with your views and your skill set for your audience. It's not pie. You know what I mean? Like it's like there, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not infinite, but we're not even scratching the surface. So let's talk about yeah. that. Like, cause you work with people who are like, I want to deliver this my way. What are some of the common barriers and how to get past them that pe that you run into with people? Yeah. So I give you credit because you did, you've done your research on what topic would trigger me. And <laughs> this is, this is one of those where I'm like, Ugh! I'm trying not to talk bad about the APTA because I, I, I realize that if I'm serious about my macro mission, that I need to work with them again. And I was an APTA student president. I was like super involved in the early phase of my career. And I got dejected for a number of reasons and, and did leave. And I'm not a member currently. I am considering rejoining, but only if I'm also understanding where I sit in it, but I'm not just hey, making, should. A making a donation. Sure. And I implore anybody who's listening, who's thinking about quitting the APTA or uh, doesn't like join, but do something though. Don't just give your money and say, I hope Correct. they do something nice with this. APTA wants that, by the way. They want yeah, you to do. They, they do. There are some barriers around that, but let's, let's talk okay. about the exact question. This notion that there is any sort of saturation is the biggest load of shit that exists <laughs> in our profession across the board in macro statistics period, because it is very easily juxtapositioned against real research. And I don't have it in front of me, but you can find the post where I referenced two studies of saying just how tiny of a fraction of the population in pain ever sees a physical therapist. Right. And no matter who you believe, it's somewhere between eight and 15%. So that means that we have an average of, let's say 90% of people in pain will never have seen a physical therapist. How the hell could we be trying to even talk about the conversation of saturation when we have an underutilization problem and we have an undereducation problem? And that is solved not by scaring PTs away from private practice, but instead driving them towards private practice and viewing marketing as a method of uh, improving medical literacy across the general population, instead of all of this back talking to and from PT to PT. And granted, there's a place for that. I have a PT facing account. I also have consumer facing accounts for my consumer facing businesses that the target of the, that content is exclusively the fighters. And I believe that we all need probably both, but we have a much greater need for more consumer facing accounts and viewing marketing as a method of medical literacy. Then let's compare the statistics. There's a gigantic gap in the amount of people that we need in this profession. I agree. I think, uh, you know, you bring up communication and obviously it's a buy, it's a lens that I look through. Um, I work for a pretty big APTA associated research organization, the foundation for physical therapy research. I do not think we should stop producing research. I don't, I don't think we should stop. We should keep producing research. I want to yes. And that, which is, Hey, look at that pile of stuff. Look at that pile of books. You keep buying. Every time I go buy a bookstore, I want to, I don't know if you're like me, but I buy a oh, book. Man, so many. It's like, are we buying books? Or are we reading books? Or are we putting those books into practice? How, what percentage, you know, there's an often cited statistic that it takes 17 years to go from research to, to clinical practice. And to me, what is that? I think that's part psychology. That's part, well, no one else is doing it. So it's probably not the right thing. It's also, if I don't know about it, I can't put into practice. So you bring up a communication issue, which is like near and dear to my heart, which is we know a lot. What if we shared 
one percent more of what we know versus just repeating the same thing over and over again. So, yes. um, so I, I do like that perspective. And I remember there was a pretty big buzz going on around that report, and it's based off of data. It's, I mean, data is neither good nor bad, but it's definitely it's it's, it's not all encompassing. It you yeah. can't tell you everything. It doesn't tell not, the full story. It's not a full story. It's not a crystal ball. Yeah. Um, but figure out what you're going to take from it and then decide what you're going to do for the next three to five to seven years, because what you do now, you will receive the benefit from three to five to seven years from now. If I'm going to bet, I would bet on there being more people who need help than people who can provide the help. Absolutely. That's just me. I All agree. right. Last, thing I want, last big topic I want to see if I can trigger you on in a good way, in a good way. Um, revolution to renaissance in in, in healthcare. It's something that you know, you've talked about before, you know, what does it mean? Because I think some, even the basic words, and I do like words because they have different meanings. Um, there's there the, in, in some of these words, Renaissance or revolution, probably a little more, you might look at it as a, as a winner takes all game. We were just talking about saturation. Helping people isn't really pie just because Jimmy got that patient that walked by and you didn't doesn't mean that there's not a hundred more around the corner. So when I say revolution to renaissance, you know, what, what sort of comes to mind? I, th I think both of those things yeah. are, are, are important. Yeah. I was wrong and I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm going to have a whole bunch of content coming out about this. You have to look at my origin story. Let's look at my dad's death and the mistakes here. They are in, in chronological order. He had been diagnosed with diabetes early in his life, heart disease, high blood pressure, the whole gamut, zero lifestyle interventions ever. But let's talk about how it all culminated to his death in the short term. Four months prior to his death, he has a stent put in, is not prescribed cardiac rehab. What One of the greatest regrets of, of my life is not pushing harder on the day. I remember that phone call where he tells me, doc said it's not necessary. And then here's really where the train wreck happens. The, the medics that show up, they diagnose him with dehydration, but it could not be more clear the, what he was suffering from was a heart attack. Right. The ambulance then drives no lights, no sirens to the hospital. The emergency room doc does not make his own assessment, briefly checks in with him. And I'm watching my dad in front of him, in front of me, clutching his chest. And he yells out his last words are his, his cardiologist's last name, Sethi, who's not there. He just yells out, Sethi, Sethi. And then he takes his last breath, which if, if you've ever heard a last breath, they, apparently they all sound the same. It's just this uh, very specific gasping sound. And the doctor on call starts to go to work with you know, CPR and makes a joke to his team, starts singing Stay Alive and clapping to the beat. Now, we understand that that can be used as a tool to refocus but could you imagine me no. watching my dad die as he's singing staying alive no and what happened was this disdain for the current healthcare system a a hatred that runs so deep that the earlier phase of of the honey badger project which is my response to the healthcare system it's what my life calling is was rooted in burning it down and building a new and as i have gone through the self-healing 
that I needed to go through with significant mental health interventions, weekly sessions for years. You really only start truly healing from that in 2019, really through now. As I get more and more healed from that trauma, I realize that I am not calling for a revolution. I am not calling for you know, one side beating the other. And instead, if we were to look back over historical periods, what I'm actually calling for is a renaissance. And the renaissance was a hallmark of a time of great creativity and expansion of new technology and growth. art and growth in every domain. So when I was calling for a revolution, I believe I actually made enemies with people that would have been allies had I had called for a renaissance from the start. And I'd rubbed people the wrong way. And some of them were close friends that now I don't actually have a relationship with uh, that I will work to repair. But I was okay with it because that- You were on a mission. My mission. It right. was above all else. And now I see that the true realization of the mission is a renaissance, which means the principles that I believe in, I believe are, are universally applicable. And I am not advocating cash versus insurance. But I, I can say, though, that insurance alone right now is a failing system for the clients and for us. And that the actually only way to revolutionize the insurance, and there's some examples of this, I'm going to use a really stereotypical one, is like silver sneakers. Silver sneakers was a direct-to-consumer thing that got created outside of the insurance realm that got so much momentum back in its heyday that then it forced the insurance company to say, we got to figure out a way to work with this. And for a period of time, it actually was a symbiotic relationship for this thing that was bred from the free market that was so good and so effective that the insurance companies had to integrate it in a meaningful way. And I believe that it is not cash versus insurance, but the way we're going to disrupt the insurance companies. And I have another project that I just, you know, I'm a co-founder in that is a major step in the example of this. So I'm a big believer that I don't teach anything that I don't do myself. So I already have my proof of concept with online and hybrid businesses. I've done those. So I can do that back of my hand. But I do have now a brand new project that's focused on industrial workers and bringing them a new type of benefit. And it's not public yet. It will be soon. So I can't go too much deeper. But the, a new type of health benefit supplied by their employers that completely changes the approach to chronic disease specifically mm -hmm. for our blue collar industrial workers like you know truck drivers, construction workers, warehouse workers, and all these other things that will be my showcasing of what I believe is the technology and the interventions in the service that will come full circle and will partner with insurance companies, but only and exclusively in a truly symbiotic way at, for the benefit of the end user, which also has benefits for the companies that supply it in cost savings. I think a renaissance uh, is probably also more um, likely to occur, right? I mean, scrapping everything and one side quitting and just saying, okay, you win. I don't know if it's as effective because something's going to come and replace that in a vacuum. It's also... It, it, the 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 really big moments are the moments of growth is what what do we all benefit from yeah 
it, it, we're not in a Marvel movie. <laughs> right. There's no Thanos that I could chop his head off and say, finally, Darn. dad, you know, I got my, I got my revenge. And I, and I was, this was a, it really did start as a revenge story in my mind. I mean, it was, it was really a, um, a dysfunctional place, but I'm grateful for it because it brought me here, but it took a lot of work to shift it away from a revenge story to a, I believe in the possibilities that our profession has. And I believe that our profession is actually the most open. So as much as we all internally rip each other and say, this profession is so fucked and this profession, all our mindsets are fucked. Well, I've dabbled in all of the other, you know, not all, but it is much more difficult to shift a medical doctor's you know, approach to practice. Really? Uh, a, uh, I believe PTs and nurse practitioners are actually the most open to change out of the more traditional credentials as a whole. And our degree is powerful. It so is. instead of saying, I wish we didn't have this doctorate, I wish we, the APTA and everybody else didn't force us to become doctors. And I wish the, uh, no, 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 no. Look, look at your toolbox and realize you are powerful and it is up to you to learn how to deploy that skill set in a way that gives you a good life, doesn't mean you need to self-sacrifice, and gives the people you serve an amazing life. And realizing that that does not mean you need to be a charity. That does not mean you need to operate at a loss. It also doesn't mean that you just need to be some sort of high ticket, serve the wealthy only. There's right. another way. Yeah, that goes back to sort of uh, full circle, right? We're talking about, you talk about the degree and how you it was, you know, forced or given, however you want to look at it, right? But that is sort of stoicism. Was this forced on me? Was it given? Does it matter? It's here. How am I going to, what is this going to teach me or what can I do with this instead of what am I saddled with? Yes. Yeah. How would you want people to find you? What's the easiest way? Um, if someone's listening and going, cool, I want to have an asymmetrical relationship with Frank. Now I need to be reading more and, and, and listening more. Where should they go? When that word, when that phrase becomes just everyday language, we're going to be like, that started <laughs> that was here us. today. We this, did that. this podcast, uh, the two ways to reach me. One personally is Instagram. So there's always me in the account. It, that's where you know, most of the fresh content comes through Frank underscore Benedetto. The other way, if you want access to, I think it's like 40 plus now soon to be a whole new season of free trainings is our free Facebook group, which by the way, tomorrow gets a full rebrand from private practice 2.0, how to reimagine and repackage your, your, your skill set to the new name. And this is the first time I'm ever publicly announcing it, which I can, because it's I like gonna, it. You know, this will actually be in the past when this comes out. Uh, the new name is the Time Leveraged Clinician, how to start a hybrid or remote practice. And when I tell you I am going to provide how-to trainings, because listen, we've all been through the marketing trainings now. You're only supposed to sell the why in your free stuff, right? So you're right. only supposed to sell the why. Well, what I'm going to do is everything the opposite. And I've always done this to a degree, but now I'm going I'm to do it in a very well-organized way. The amount of value you're going to get out of this free group, uh, simply put, is going to, my goal is to earn your trust. So you could come to this group, find trainings on a whole host of things from the baby steps you need to start seeding your career so that maybe you, you do launch a business in a year or two and you're not ready now, all the way through what to be doing you know, in, in the, the just prior to phases and specifically either hybrid. And my definition of hybrid is combining digital delivery mechanisms with in-person Hybrid to me is not blending insurance with, with uh, cash. That is a different definition. Um, and remote meaning a fully digital 
ecosystem. And it's going to be just absolutely full of value. I invite you to come there. If you never become a client, I welcome that. And you could consume all of the free content uh, you, you could need. And if one day we've earned your trust enough to become a client, that would mean the world to me. All right. Uh, Frank, you ready to do three questions? Let's do it. Let's do three questions. All right. Three questions brought to you by Jackson Therapy Partners at jacksontherapy.com, providing awesome adventures in patient care for PTs who care about where they're going. Maybe you want to try travel PT. You have a license. You're free to move about the country. Uh, so three questions. The first question, uh, who is a, someone the audience should follow to learn more about some of the things we talked about today? It's your chance to give a nod to yeah. somebody else. Peter Tia. Okay. Oh, I believe yeah, yeah. that Peter Tia is an MD who, if you read his re most recent book, outlines so many ways that we as therapists can immediately implement a more holistic viewpoint of life. Asterisk, Peter Atiyah has also been what I call nocebo'd. What is that? So mean? there, there is a nocebo'd is where you have false beliefs about movement patterns and overly nuanced movement patterns uh, that lead to fear of movement. Got it. So unfortunately, in this masterful book about longevity and living the principles of living a, a whole holistic life as far as nutrition and movement and and mindset and aging right in the smack middle of this book is a chapter that's full of absolute garbage uh, to which one day I hope to get to discuss with Peter directly. And I'll say this you know, to him where his before and after picture, the entire, the entire rest of the book is chock full of, of research studies and really relevant, very new, well done ones. The movement section though, however, has a before and after picture in which the before picture his shirt is off the after picture his shirt is on. In the before picture, his shoes are on. In the after picture, his shirt's off. Uh, his, his shoes are off. In one picture, he has his arms up. In one picture, his arms are down. And he says, look at my terrible squat form. Uh, and I didn't lift for months. So I share this for two reasons. One, this is one of the most brilliant thinkers in healthcare right now. He needs you. He needs more movement specialists preaching basic foundational principles. Read the rest of the book for information to download and disseminate read that chapter to get fired up and start creating your own content. Love it. Um, what's something the audience should take a look at if they want to take a deeper dive into any of the things you talked about today? Is there, I mean, you mentioned Peter Tia's book. Is there anything else that you'd send people to? This is the way I like, I bolster up my Netflix queue or my, 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 yeah. my Amazon cart. Yeah. So I, I will, I will default to Seth Godin's work. Specifically. There's a new one coming out, Icarus. Uh, so I, I, the new one that came out two weeks ago is the song of significance. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. I got yeah. the email. I, I have it in my, my, I'm literally reading it as we speak and it's absolutely incredible. The song of significance speaks to creating the next generation of employers in healthcare. So the, that that's the real shortage. If there's a shortage, not everybody should or needs to be an entrepreneur. However, if you can't find a place to work in the region or the distance you're willing to commute, you are now an entrepreneur by default if you want to live right. your values and work with the people you want to. Right. Seth Godin. I got a chance to stand next to him once at a book, at a book signing. And He's at one man. point I had a, I had a, I had a, uh, uh, like a figurine. He had like a superhero, like toy made of him. Of course he would. That's incredible. Uh, yep, third question Seth is, Godin. Yep. Go ahead. why should someone care about this coming Renaissance or helping to bring the Renaissance to fruition? I think that the PT profession is truly, coming to the crossroads where there is enough momentum 
in some of the other areas we were talking about, such as practice act encroachment, declining reimbursement rates, VC companies who had their chance to correct and and uh, and become more employee and patient oriented, and who have taken their stand and said no, that the direction we are heading, without trying to be a pessimist or you know a, a, a kind of a meta version of a nocebo language here, I think we could just objectively look at the trajectory of of the profession and say that we need a mass quantity of PTs to step up. Otherwise, this is truly heading towards the end of the the way that we know it. I, it'll never go away, but PT might be relegated to just simply hospitals and certain fields, whereas we or, will have everybody else fill the void. Or, or people had talked about, you know, is this profession going to get absorbed into several professions? Is it going to yeah. be an athletic trainer, PT, chiropractor, with some nursing knowledge or a, or a physiatrist, like, you know, who's to say, you know, that's that, you know, if you, if whenever people tell me that'll never happen, I get nervous, yeah. right? Never or always makes me nervous. Yeah. It's the middle where I'm like, well, you never know which way. Yeah. I think uh, it's trending in that direction. Right. Uh, Frank, the last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. Parting shot brought to you by our friends, the Academy of Orthopedic PT. Their current offering, current concepts in their fifth edition, uh, taking you from wherever you are in your career to making sure you are well prepared to take that OCS exam. That is what current concepts is perfect for. Um, take a look at that right now at orthopt.org. All right, hey, parting shot. I got to jump in on that. What do you got? I, I did that. I used them for when I passed my SCS over a decade ago. There you go. See, yeah. it's been around and now it's in this yeah. fifth edition. So look at that. Um, so chance at a parting shot. You can say something you've already said and just reiterate. This is your chance for sort of a soapbox statement or a mic drop moment. What would you want to leave with the, uh, the audience with as we wrap up? Yeah. I've been around death a lot. I believe that watching my dad's death and being there for that moment is now something I would never trade I also have been in the room for two other family members getting cancer diagnoses, stage three and four, and multiple battles with stage four over many years and in their 40s. So we've all heard the advice that one day we're going to look back on our life and ask ourselves questions at, at, towards the end. And I think we could all conceptualize that we could take it and say, yeah, there's, there's real value in that. When you watch a life end, when you watch someone close to you get told that their life might end very soon, that thought exercise takes an entirely new meaning. And I've had to really dig deep as to what am I going to make out of the meaning of these experiences for both myself and then for those who I have the privilege of educating? And what I implore you to is to just take some time, really put out, put a block in your calendar, one hour if you're married, have a significant other, a spouse, long-term relationship of any kind. 
don't just gloss over this as a nice to have cliche exercise, but instead really put yourselves in that moment and ask yourself when it does come to be the end for you, is the current trajectory of your career, because this is truth is that's where we're spending most of our waking hours, no matter who you are. Are you going to be happy with that choice? And if the answer is yes, double down on it, keep going. If the answer is no, you don't have to do something drastic. You don't need to quit tomorrow and blow up your life. But just keep that block on the calendar every week and start asking yourself, what am I going to do about it? What's the tiniest first step that I'm going to do about it? Because I'm only a few years away from when my family member was first diagnosed. And I think about that a lot. Yeah. Well said. Frank, uh, I got to have you back because I don't even think we've scratched the surface. Uh, we have Pleasure yeah. talking with you. So th yeah. thanks so much for the time and the insight. Thanks for doing what you do. Yeah, man. Let's let's do a Rogan style one where we just like hang out for three hours next time. Break it into yeah, like smokes, five episodes. So we'll go do a cold bath yeah. live on the live stream, whatever let's we want to do. I'm totally in. It. All right. We'll have you back soon, Frank. Uh, they say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours. Thanks. Man. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com. 